This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the host of today's show, Ramya Amuthan. Some songs can really drive you up the wall. You know, you know what song you're thinking about when you think of that sentiment. But something happens, and that's the song that comes right into your head. So I'm thinking of Julia Black's Friday because it's Friday. And every time I think of singing a song because it's Friday, I immediately go to Julia Black. Oh my gosh, that song was atrocious. She definitely had a vibe going for the Fridays. Danielle, how are you doing? Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the right. whole song song. Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> we have um we have a lot coming up on today's show. So instead of getting Julia Black stuck in everybody's head, why don't we tell everybody what's coming up on the show? Speaking of music, uh, Apple is showing Windows some love with new music, TV, and iCloud photo integration. And we're going to talk about this, of course, on the app update with John Beeler. Vancouver is providing new accessible voting options during the October 15th civic election. That's tomorrow. And Sylvie Fiquette will bring us up to speed. The Method. This is an audiobook that's trending on uh, Audible Originals. It's by James Patterson and it's topping the charts. So Ryan Huey's going to give us his review. He's very excited about it. That's later on on the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Huey. So Danielle, we have two things we want to get to today. Um, should we start with the more serious and not great thing? Yeah, um, this comes out of the United States, and it has to do with two candidates for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman is the Democratic Senate, uh, sorry, candidate for senator, and uh, Mehmet Oz is the Republican one. Uh, John Fetterman uh, had a stroke in May, which has impacted his ability to understand what he hears and to speak words clearly. So recently there was an interview uh, in which he used a um, a technology that just uh, gives him the words printed out uh, of, the, of the questions that he's being asked. And there has been an awful backlash from the ableist community, if I may say so, saying things like, oh, he can't possibly be qualified for Senate. Of course, this is highly political. It's the Republicans who are most uh, interested in, in in trying to take John Fetterman down. But what they're, they're, they're questioning whether somebody who has a disability and needs an assistive technology is a, suit- a suitable candidate for public office. Um, this is not new, and it's not specific to Fetterman. He's just the latest uh, of the, I should say, victims of this kind of attack. We, we know that, you know, if we go far back in U.S. history, we see uh, President Roosevelt, FDR, who used a wheelchair after he had polio. He never wanted to be seen 
in the wheelchair, especially not getting in or getting out of the wheelchair, because he felt that the that the American public would consider him too weak to hold office if they knew mm-hmm. that that he couldn't walk on his own. Um, there have been many instances of people, especially if they've had psychiatric disorders, um, if they've been hospitalized for uh, you know a, an extended period of time, if they have. Um, if they live with a disability where their fitness to hold office has been questioned. And I find that personally extremely troubling uh, because it, it not only does it speak against inclusion, it actually supports a very ableist point of view that is, well, I have no other word for it. It's just wrong. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, the materials, but there are not a lot of people uh, with disabilities in the United States government who um, have confessed to having the disability. I mean, obviously, there are people like Tammy Duckworth who uh, uses a wheelchair because her legs uh, were amputated um, and, and people where they really can't hide their particular disability. The visible but, disabilities. But, yeah, that's right. Quite visible disabilities. But even where they would otherwise in you know in the normal course of a day be visibly dis- disabled they've found ways of not disclosing and you know i mean i don't think anybody should be forced to disclose a disability who doesn't want to but it really does affect the whole notion of inclusion when people are made to feel that if they have a disability they they will be considered unfit uh for for holding public office what do you think well, about there's... that ramia yeah, and there's so much to digest here, Danielle, because the first thing that I go to is advocacy and representation, right? So yes. in Canada and around us in uh, the government, when we could see people and understand people with disabilities kind of wearing their disability proudly or identifying as having a disability, I think it gives you some reassurance as, uh, for example, as a person with disability who wants to be in office, right? Mm -hmm. That you or someone like you is there already. Um, Then there's like this angle where you know, others have made the decision or the assumption that you can't do your job because of a uh, permanent or temporary disability. And that part is what I find most troubling, as you mentioned, because as soon as you kind of put that, leave that up for discussion, right? Like, hey, do you think that this man can do his job now that he's had a stroke? Like that is, that shouldn't even be on the table. And yet it is because, um, we're finding, you know, the the root of it is that we're finding people don't want to disclose or people in the past have not disclosed and therefore we're leaving so much up for that yeah. discussion. It, it's, it's, a, it's a concern and I think we need to keep our eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Very troubling. Yeah. Now, Danielle, because we want to wrap on a, a, a more funny note, uh, there's yes. something else going <laughs> on in the UK. Yes. Okay. So uh, Liz Truss is the uh, Prime Minister of England, and um, people are not thinking very highly uh, of Ms. Truss or Prime Minister Truss. In fact, there is a meme now with a framed photograph of her uh, next to a large wet lettuce. And the question asked is, will Liz Truss 
last longer than a head of lettuce. Now, it's an iceberg lettuce, and she has been called the iceberg lady uh, in the past. Uh, Somebody's also put some googly eyes on the lettuce, and they have asked the question, who would you rather have ruling the country, Liz Truss or a wet lettuce? And I believe that the lettuce is getting an awful lot of votes. Um, so as only the British can... can um, can be. It's, they've been really playing off on this and all sorts of uh, puns and, and jokes have been uh, promulgated by, by this meme. But, you know, it, uh, things have been turning around really fast in that government. And uh-huh. uh, who knows how long she'll last. Keep your eye on the lettuce. <laughs> Keep your eye on the lettuce <laughs> and the prime minister. We're going to take real. a break. Come back with lifestyle headlines. Grant Hardy has those for us on Kelly and Company. Friday edition of Kelly and Company here with Danielle McLaughlin and Ramia Amadan. If you want to get a hold of us, give us some feedback. Maybe you want to join the conversation about lettuce. Uh, you can call us 1-866-509-4545. If you leave us a message you want us to play on air, please give us permission. Also, feedback at ami.ca is our email address. And on social media, particularly on Twitter, you can find us at AMI Audio. That's the handle. Now, as usual, Wednesdays and Fridays, we like to check in with Grant Hardy. And he uh, joins us with a little bit of health on Wednesdays, a little bit of lifestyle on Fridays, and maybe some things in between. Grant, are you enjoying your Friday so far? Yeah. um, Can I just say, let us talk about some headlines? Yeah. Yeah. I can't say that. (laughs) <laughs> the warm-up puns. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be a little more warm and fuzzy than our first headline here, which talks about something that I think a lot of people will have heard of with a, a telecommunications company. Maybe you've been getting your a note about this on your bill. But uh, businesses in Canada can now actually add surcharges to your bills when you pay using a credit card. The new rules uh, are a result of a settlement in a long-running class uh, action legal battle launched by merchants against Visa and MasterCard and financial institutions. So credit card companies had long resisted allowing businesses to pass on these transaction fees as it could lead consumers to switch to payment uh, other payment methods to avoid the additional costs. So the fees have, have are, are always been there. They've just been paid by businesses. The fee is applicable to any credit card transaction, not just retail ones. This means purchases in person, online, over the phone, including subscriptions and bills, can be subject to a transaction fee if the business decides to include it. The new fees will be applied at the merchant's discretion anywhere in Canada, except for uh, Quebec, where the Consumer Protection Act prohibits it. Uh, Credit card companies say the average fee is 1.4%, but it can go all the way up to a cap of 2.4% for small merchants and for expensive cards. 
Uh, obviously, this is going to directly impact those rewards cards that if you live in my family, we're constantly uh, talking about how many points and stuff we're earning on our cards. Uh, my question, really, just thinking about this is, uh, you know, it's a tough one because people have always said this, like businesses are getting charged this fee. My thing is, I feel that businesses at this point will already have kind of integrated this into their pricing in general. So what I would love to see are just discounts for customers who choose to use other types of payments, but not actually increasing the price more. I, I feel like for the average Canadian with inflation and everything like that happening, not sure what you guys think, uh, but this is going to just feel like more nickel and diming. Plus for us, uh, for those of us in the disability community, uh, credit cards just offer, especially with tap to pay and mobile phone payments, they offer just such an accessible, uh, relatively accessible, because you still can't see the terminal, which is going to be interesting too, because you may not actually see that this fee is being charged, uh, but a relatively accessible uh, payment option, which will now kind of be at a disadvantage uh, if we have to start using cash or, or debit cards, which can be a little more complicated. Now, Grant, is this just the um, uh, the retailer or the financial institution passing along what they have to pay to the credit card companies to the consumer, or is yeah, this an is additional correct. thing? Ah, this, okay. this is something that has been charged for years and decades. People have said this for, again, a, a, a long time. This is not a new fee, uh, but I guess actually you just weren't able to actually pass this on to customers mm -hmm. so sometimes you know i would find there's a little bit of pushback understandable pushback if you went to buy a you know one dollar candy bar using your credit card right. um but uh but the new thing here is that consumers must be aware that any business anywhere in canada except quebec can now charge this fee. And while there are some obligations about posting signs and stuff like that to advise of the fee and indicating it on the terminal, uh, those signs may well be invisible to someone like me. Right. Yeah, that's true. And also, you know, does this make it inaccessible on other levels for people, right? So readily having to have cash or uh, funds in your debit cards and not have to borrow, like eliminate or reduce the amount of time that you have to borrow because they've now attached a fee onto it. In the yeah, long run, that's... it feels like it might be a better idea and that we don't use as much credit and, and loan money, but uh, I don't know. Sorry, you were going to say? Yeah, no, for sure. And just the idea that it's just so easy to tap your phone and you get kind of an accessible not exactly a receipt but you do get kind of an accessible record at least of your transaction and mm -hmm. uh i i think that you know some people do certainly use credit cards as a high interest loan uh, but a lot of people just use credit cards as kind of a convenient way of paying yep. since it does come with those rewards, sometimes protection. 
Uh, and, and also protection against uh, loss and theft. You know, if someone steals your credit card and runs it out, like, chances are if you call and report it, you may not be responsible for those mm. charges with cash or a debit card. Mind you, debit card may have a pin, but if someone gets their hands on that, uh, you certainly can go after them. But meanwhile, you're out that money. Yeah, yeah I don't... I know. It doesn't seem and, quite fair. No, it doesn't. And I'm curious about if this, like, imagine everybody who's aware of this now, and we, as we should be, right, uh, says, okay, I guess I'm not using a credit card anymore. Does this mean the end of credit cards? Are we going back to cash? That's what I'm wondering about. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be happy about that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how much... Uh, pushback we get here and, and we may only have a few businesses that actually end up passing uh this fee along but i certainly think it's going to make people think a little bit more about yeah where their money is actually going and coming from all right what else do you have for us this is a good all one. right so we are going to switch in a different direction here i apologize i think there's a little bit of a delay on this connection if it sounds to listeners like i'm interrupting or something i think it's just a delay uh no no worries so we'll move on uh we have some tips from conflict resolution expert amy gallo uh for dealing with difficult people like especially difficult uh colleagues uh from her book getting along uh there are nine of them so i won't give you all of them but just a, a sort of a taster uh you know focus on what you can control a few people alter their behavior because someone else wants them to they do it if they want to so focus on what you can control like uh providing more free feedback um uh she also says uh, your perspective is just one perspective. Other people may see the problematic person differently, or perhaps you are all missing some important factor causing the bad behavior. She recommends asking yourself what assumptions you made and how you might be wrong in your assessment of the situation. Uh, beware of your biases. Check what biases you may be influenced by. Notably, notably, the affinity bias, which is an unconscious tendency to get along with people who are like us. I definitely see that in myself. And the confirmation bias, which is interpreting events or evidence uh, to confirm our existing beliefs. Oh, yeah, definitely have that, too. Uh, don't make it me against them. Uh, that just polarizes the situation. Instead, you want to see it uh, instead of as two opposing factions. Uh, imagine three sort of factions or things in this situation. You, your colleague, and the dynamic between you. Mm. Uh, rely on empathy to see things differently and know your goal. Like if your goal is not getting stuck in long discussions with your colleague, uh, that might be different than if your goal is sort of influencing your colleague to maybe change their behavior. And last but not least, don't gossip. Although she does say that sometimes, she doesn't exactly call it gossip, but sharing your perspective with a trusted person can be very helpful, but that's different than sort of randomly gossiping around the office, which everybody, 
does. A lot of people do, and it can look unconventional. What do you guys think of these tips? Well, you know, that's interesting, Grant, because I think there's a kind of fine line between gossiping and sharing information. Um, you know, if, if you're talking about your, your colleagues' uh, private life that has nothing to do with their work, then that's gossip. But if, mm -hmm. if you're talking about something in their private life that's having an impact on their, their work, so, for example, you're saying, you know, we should be aware that so-and-so is having a really rough time because of some factor in their life and we need to be kinder. I don't think that's exactly gossip, although it, it might be sharing information that isn't uh, necessarily directly related to the workplace. I, I think those are difficult things to, to distinguish sometimes. What do you think? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And, and honestly, I think there's sort of a difference between like, Listen, just wanted, you know, you guys to know, I, th I think this person is a little upset today with some, you know, some family stuff going on. Maybe we can just sort of bear that in mind versus like kind of just talking about people in, in a, a negative way behind mm. their back. You know, it's kind of interesting because I find for myself as someone with, I, I keep sort of chalking everything up to, to, disability, but I, I suppose I find since I'm someone who already misses some cues like eye contact and body language and stuff like that, one, one thing that really kind of gets my back up is thinking that other people are sort of talking about me without me being able to share my side of the story. So I think that's right. maybe, mm -hmm. maybe what she's getting at, but, um, you know, there's sort of a difference between like talking to your partner or a really, really trusted person about what's going on versus just kind of gossiping around the office. But absolutely fair point, Danielle, that sometimes we can't keep everything private and it's important to mm. share some details to influence also our perspectives the why, for the better. The why yeah. around why you're sharing, right? Like in both of your mm. examples of the the reasonable way to share is because you want to keep empathy and kindness in mind. And another reason might be because, you know, and I've, I have this um, pretty often where I'm, I, I get stuck in this loop of, well, it's them against me. But when you're sharing, mm. you might want you do that because you deliberately want the other person to bring something to the table that you may not have already seen um, or understood, right? Like a broader perspective of what's happening in the situation or why this person is uh, triggering you, whatever it may be. So um, I actually, yeah, I appreciated this article and all the different tips. Yeah, I think this is going to be super useful for me to kind of save in my back pocket here and not only for work but also for um just in general interpersonal mm -hmm. communication yeah, exactly i love it yeah i think I that, that sometimes there there are a few tools one of them is humor you know sometimes you can kind of joke with somebody who's being very very prickly and that that can that can help. Not always. Sometimes it's definitely the wrong thing to do, but uh, every now and then it, it it is helpful. And sometimes just quietly listening to somebody who's yes. who wants to complain. You don't have to offer a solution. Just just listen. That's mm -hmm. all. Healthy you guys ways. Ever had, yeah, yeah. You guys ever had those moments where you thought you were being kind or funny or something like that, and all of a sudden the person sort of 
got up with you and then you realize like yeah. oh wow there's some definitely some miscommunication here definitely yes. we'll discuss that on part two of lifestyle grant thank you so much all right guys cheers taking a break we'll be back with the app update john beeler's here for that Going off just a little bit on our last conversation with Grant Hardy, I think as you were saying, Danielle, just ways to connect with people, especially when you feel like there's so much resistance or difference between the two of you, uh, can be very impactful, like you mentioned, using humor or other ways to kind of uh, focus on the similarities, maybe, or ways that you can get on the same page. Yeah, just defuse it a little bit, I think. Right. Right. Okay. We'll try things out here. Good Good article to talk about, though, and uh, Grant summarized those tips for us. It's, it's conversations like those we have on our lifestyle segment on Fridays. Also on Fridays, we check in with John Beeler. He joins us to talk apps and tech, all kinds of fun things. Happy Friday, John. Happy Friday. Okay. So... This first one, I'm not sure what the angle is going to be, so I'm very curious. A Canadian developer uh, built an Arrive Can clone app in two days. So what's the significance here? Well, it was recently uh, sort of unveiled that the Canadian government had spent $54 million to develop and use the app uh, Arrive Can, which, you know, as everyone knows, if you're traveling, you have to use this to come back into Canada. Uh, You have to upload a lot of personal information. You have to confirm your vaccination status, those types of things. And so um, when it was announced, there was a huge outcry from the tech community that that seemed ridiculous because some of the biggest games and apps out there cost much less to develop. So, you know, is this a a case of, you know, government bloat or or what's the story here? And so there's actually, since I sent you this article, there's been another company that has also proved that they could do something very similar in very short amount of time uh, at a much lower price point. The I guess the only thing that I can think of, and this isn't justifying the price or anything like that, is that I can only imagine how difficult it is to develop an app by committee with the governments that would have to be involved in this, all the different agencies, public health or authorities, those types of things, not to mention the border security people as well. So it's a it's an interesting sort of look at what was actually spent. Uh, apparently, a number of the subcontractors involved in this project um, w- were a very small piece of the actual puzzle with one company actually charging $45 million back to the government for their services. Wow, that's... that's- ridiculous <laughs> i think that's, that's um extortion or something like that wow yeah i mean it, it it boggles the mind the um the developer that i was mentioning that created a clone they actually had an internal hackathon to see if they could do this and they did and they yeah. kind of priced it out like what would it actually cost to maintain the servers and the support and all that kind of stuff and they thought you know maybe a few hundred thousand dollars when you look at the bigger picture across all the people potentially using this, all the different app stores that it has to go to, those types of things. Wow. So then, 
John, does it make a difference that the the clone maker um, did it now? You know, a lot of the stuff, the figuring out and all of this has, we've gone through those phases in the last couple of years. Does it make a difference that he's trying to recreate this now after knowing what has been put into it? Or is that the point that it doesn't matter? Well, no, that's a very valid point. And essentially, the current state of the app is a blueprint for copying it. Pretty much, yeah. But we don't know all the different iterations it would have went through to get to that point, all the different decisions that would have been had to be made. And again, kind of mentioning what I said earlier about having, you know, cooperation and collaboration from all these different government agencies that Mm -hmm. are involved in what makes it all up. Um, So, yeah, it's a little bit of a like an easy route to say, oh, well, this is easy to clone. But, you know, it's much more complicated than that. And they do address that in sort of their um, the, the stuff I've seen online from this company. You know, it's not that easy, but, you know, fundamentally at the core of it, the the basic functionality is not $55 million worth of development. That's the point they're making. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they can, if they can show that some of the really complicated apps have cost significantly less to develop, then they're making a statement right then and there. That's really, uh, it's pretty significantly, uh, what what I hope this does is put a spotlight on the fact that the next time the government needs to make an app, there'll be a lot more transparency and and presumably <laughs> there might even be a gold rush of developers trying to do that mm. or them knowing they can charge a fortune for it. No kidding. Well, I, I maybe the they can do it cheaply and just sell it to, uh, yeah, if the clone is more accessible and they should be selling it to the government. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we 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 know. At least in the Blind Low Vision community, we know how inaccessible the Arrive can the the whole system, not just the app, but the whole system is. So, I'm very curious about that aspect too. Yeah. Now, you have something to tell us about Apple showing Windows some love with new music, TV, and iCloud photos integration. Yeah, one of the sort of sore points for a lot of Windows users over the years has been the fact that it's not easy for them to integrate their iPhone into their Windows environment. Uh, you either had to use sort of browser-based things or um, a really old version of iTunes to access Apple Music. And now Apple has um, basically committed to Microsoft to, de- to deliver an Apple Music app that will be natively available on the Microsoft Store. Uh, that's available now, and they're also going to be coming out with something really useful. And it's basically a uh, an iCloud photo uh, app that allows you to integrate your iPhone or whatever iOS device photos into your Windows Phone or Photos uh, application. So you'll actually have this proper cross-syncing across uh, Windows and iOS devices for your photos, your music, and even your TV shows. Now, are they doing this just out of the goodness of their hearts or is is there uh, some kind of financial benefit? Um, I, th- I think it's probably a bit of both. Uh, the, um, the actual benefit would be to Apple to have a, probably a fairly large user base being able to natively mm-hmm. access their stuff from their phones. Uh, a lot of times people will choose a platform based on their the interoperability with their computer systems as well. So I think this... You know, it, there's no cost for this feature because this is these are for services that you're probably already paying for through your your um, uh, your iCloud account or your Apple Music subscription fees, those types of things. Um, so this just makes it easier for Windows-based users to access that content. Nice. 
so you, you you would if you're not an Apple user, you can just go to the uh, the Google Store and and pick it up like that. The Microsoft Store, yeah. The Microsoft Store. Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah. a good yes. question, though. That yeah. Google, you know, miss um, the question about Google. Like, do yeah. you think that this is a competitive edge now for Microsoft because Google and Apple is who we talk about more often right especially with the back and forth do they play well to each other with each other etc that, that again that's a really interesting question because we've seen some partnerships between apple and google we've seen some partnerships between microsoft and google we've seen partnerships with microsoft and apple like it almost seems to depend on the division of those companies as to who they get along with and not necessarily all of the divisions in those companies work with the other companies so um, but I'm hoping this is going to lead to a much more open and uh, less walled garden sort of feeling across all these different platforms. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's obviously been so much resistance in the past, but I'm curious about what it would be like to just play nice overall with everybody and give people the freedom to uh, choose whatever platforms they want without having to decide, okay, if I get an iPhone, then I have to be all Apple everything because nobody... You know, yeah. none of these other places play well with the. I, I think it has a lot to do with a lot of the antitrust regulations we've started to see um, mm. across these companies, where you can't have, you can't have it all, and you also need to look at the actual consumer landscape. And like you said, you should be able to mix and match. If you really like yeah. an iPhone, but you really like a Windows laptop, that should work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we see more opportunity for options and choices. Uh, in you know some contexts, it would be nice to see it in all contexts too. So that's great. Now with um, marvelous technological innovations going on, a new AI tool can scan your retina and predict your risk of heart disease in sixty seconds or less. We had a conversation about artificial intelligence the other day, and I think that this is one of the 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 top ways that AI is helping, right, in the medical aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. So sort of the premise behind this is uh, a research paper was just published in the British Journal of Ophthalmology that talks about the fact that um, a lot of your heart-related issues, specifically heart disease, uh, can be sort of almost predicted by the state of your eyesight. And they discovered that you can basically, it's unclear in, in what I've read from the paper, whether it's a photo, it's an app that's doing something, or it's a like an actual proper scanner of some kind. But it's what it's doing is essentially looking at your, your retina and all of the veins and arteries that are in your eyeball, um, they have... <laughs> They call it a bendability. So how flexible those things are, what size they are, those types of things. The um, the scan, again, whether it's a photo or an actual scan uh, from a, with a scanner, I don't know. Uh, it, it can determine and measure those things. And then the AI can sort of say, hey, you know what? This might actually be the case where you're going to have a problem down the road because this is an early indicator for this thing. Um, the the intent is that this will be something that the end users will be able to do themselves, probably at home, not in a clinic, to get these sort of advanced early warnings of potential issues that are going to be coming down the line. So that's a pretty exciting development. Well, actually, it's not that new. I about and I'm not exaggerating. About 50 years ago, um, I remember my mother going to the ophthalmologist who was examining her retinas 
who said to her, I'll bet your parents are still alive. The blood vessels in your retinas show that you that you have very healthy, uh, um, that, that your heart health is very good. And so I think that it's been a long time that, that ophthalmologists have known that they can look at the blood vessels. Mm. This might just be a, a way of codifying it through a, an AI tool, but I don't think that it's news that, that looking at no. those blood vessels gives you a... a a fairly good indication of what's happening with the rest of your blood vessels. Yeah, no, and that's exactly the point. The, the, the AI can be this early predictor and notice changes, and it's also meant to be self-administered, which is mm-hmm. that's a huge. lot handier for people. Mm. Yeah, and when we have conversations about the Apple Watch, about, uh, you know, the 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 way that in each iteration of the Apple Watch, we're able to do more and more on our own. Now, I know that there's the the privacy part of it and there's the, you know, how much are we going to let our devices handle, like aka communicate between us and our doctors. Um, But there's this aspect of it where, yeah, like instead of, you know, the other day we were having a conversation about triaging in emergency rooms and we know the kind of crises that's going on there. So the so much of it now you can potentially or we're very close to having done at home um especially with the the heart health right like ecgs and um yeah heart rate and all that stuff arrhythmia yeah no it's it's definitely something we've seen over the, over the last few years with these devices that are in sort of empowering the the users to take their own measurements it can also be a very um uh, anxiety reducing functionality because you know yes. again these aren't I mean I guess in some ways they are considered medical devices because they have to be certified by various health authorities but mm-hmm. they're not to replace having that conversation with your doctor but they can be very good early warning signs that hey maybe it's time to have that conversation as opposed to just ignoring that problem um, yeah. and and research has proven that we're not wasting medical resources by having this additional information on, on our wrists or other, other places because doctors actually welcome an educated user to come in and have a conversation about it because chances are that's when you're going to, you're going to prevent it or catch it early enough that you're not dealing with it after it's already too late. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And it sure does beat a lot of these uh, opportunities beats us going on Google and trying to diagnose ourselves based on just little to no information at all. Um, fantastic. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate the information as always. John Beeler joins us for our app update on Friday, so he'll be back next week. Uh, also, after the break, we have our regional content report, this time with Sylvie Fickett. We'll be back for that. Great weekend programming all over AMI-audio for your interest. You can catch The Pulse this uh, weekend and all over the week as well. Um, For example, Thursdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. Joita Gupta this week spoke to 
Maya Chupkoff about her podcast, Proud Stutter, and her journey as a stuttering advocate. That's The Pulse. Catch it on AMI-audio, and it's available on YouTube as a video podcast and on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Ramia Amuddin here with Danielle McLaughlin, and this is Kelly and Company. Ramia, it's time for our regional content report, and today we're joined by Sylvie Fiquette, AMI Content Development Specialist in Vancouver. Hello, Sylvie. Hi, Danielle. How are you doing? I'm well. How about you? Do you have beautiful weather out there? Incredible weather. It is really rare to be full sunshine at this time of year, so we're enjoying it. How about you guys? Oh, good. Well, we've had about nine days of weather today. Um, we've had we've had sun, we've had rain, we've had wind. I think I saw a rainbow for a moment. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy out here today. But you know, I'll just sit back and look out my window. I, I daren't go out, to be honest with you. I don't know what's oh, going to wow. happen next. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Well, I understand you're going to be telling us about. Vancouver providing new accessible voting options tomorrow during the October 15th civic election um, with the, and apparently they're using innovative technology as well. Can you tell us what's out there, what they're offering? Yeah. So Danielle, I just want to put a, a bit of a disclaimer or correction there. Oh, sorry. This, um, <laughs> the, this happened, I didn't realize, but happened at advanced voting locations earlier this week. So uh. I'm just creating awareness about um, the accessible technology, and then I'll touch on where people can can vote and have some assistance with um with their votes. So earlier this week, new accessible technology referred to as the ICE machine allowed voters to navigate through a choice of candidates upon a digital screen and submit their vote by pressing a button or breathing into a mouthpiece. The ICE machine was used by deaf and hard of hearing individuals, blind and partially sighted, and those with limited mobility or zero movement ability in their limbs. The device allowed users to mark their ballots with sip and puff paddles or other accessibility devices. Audio instructions, braille markings on paddles and buttons were provided and large print or high color contrast also. So once the voter enters their selection, the ICE machine then prints and deposits the vote into a ballot box. So it's very independent. It's an independent way to cast your vote without um, having to rely on someone to take an oath or provide that sort of um, protection uh, providing your selection. Oh, well, that that makes some sense so that you you can maintain your privacy while you're voting. You don't have to reveal how you vote to an assistant with those technologies. Yeah. So previously, um, as you guys would be familiar, citizens with disabilities were relegated to completing either mail-in ballots at home, likely with the assistance of a caregiver or friend. Their only other option was to bring a helper with them to the polls. And that option is still available. So for tomorrow, those who um, would like to um, have accessible voting, they can. they are assigned an election official and the option 
is also available to bring someone you know and trust to cast your vote. Um, there are uh, lines that are priority line for people with disabilities, and um, the the locations are are quite accessible. They're usually in community centers, so it it there's a way to vote, but this way with the advanced polling was really great because then you you were actually able to do it privately and independently. That's really uh, important that uh, that voters with disabilities will have the same kind of accessibility as everybody else has. I think that, you know, this should be permanent in, in, yeah. you know, in, in my view for, for all elections at every level of, of government. For sure. And with this kind of technology, it's just, you know, the first step and then introducing it across the country would be, I think, um, the way to go, obviously, because then it does ensure that independence. Sylvie. Yeah, absolutely. And every time we talk about accessible voting, uh, no matter where it is, it's wonderful to hear that there are more choices more options and opportunity because uh you know it, it first of all expands on word voter turnout um but secondly the the conversation of disabilities being had you know actively around election time so that's important Let, to note ramia yeah i know you want to switch i'm just going to slide this in quickly for sure Advocates here and persons with disabilities advisory committee are saying it's great having new assisted voting options. That's helpful, but it's very important that more civic candidates acknowledge the needs of disabled citizens in their political platforms so mm -hmm. that their that information is there because you go to cast a vote, but you have no idea really if there isn't a lot of information about what that candidate thinks about accessibility and inclusivity. Exactly. So true. And, and you know, as we were mentioning in, in segment one, um, it's more important that people with disabilities consider running for office as well, so that, you know, disability becomes something that people see on a regular basis and don't think is, you know, surprising in, in, a, in an election. I'm hopeful that, that that will happen too. A thousand percent, Danielle. That's it's so important to highlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in, in past, you know, past conversations around um, big elections, especially, we're, we're just, we're not aware or, you know, it's such a niche topic to talk about, you know, heads up last minute that if you're a person with a disability that there may be uh, you know accessible slates for you available at select locations and and I'm happy to hear that that's no longer uh, you know the, it's not as minimal as it used to be to talk right. about people with disabilities that, that's true up. yeah okay yeah. so there is uh, the resort municipality of Whistler Council, and they recently adopted the first ever accessibility action plan. This sounds exciting. What's being introduced through the plan? Yeah, the plan is to provide inclusive actions so individuals of all abilities and ages can engage with Whistler's workplace, services, and built environment. Um, the Accessibility Action Plan ensures that Whistler meets the requirements of the Accessible British Columbia Act, which came into effect on September 1st this year. Mayor Jack Crompton of Whistler stated accessibility is about including everyone. It ensures Whistler is designed for people with all abilities and 
at every life stage. The Accessibility Action Plan has been a long-standing council priority and now it's embedded in Whistler's Regional Municipal Official Community Plan. Wow, that's great. So anything else on the timing and the significance of the, the plan being introduced? Yeah, that uh, that question is really critical here. So they've appointed an accessibility and inclusion committee in Whistler, and they'll be working collaboratively to assess and improve community accessibility and inclusion, focusing on experiences of people with disabilities, but also encompassing the whole community. The committee um, is uh, set up to provide advice to council on strategies to reduce social, physical, and sensory barriers that provide people from fully participating in all aspects of community life. And it's important to highlight that people with disabilities will be an active part of this work and are represented on the committee. That was my very next question. <laughs> That's really important <laughs> because so often we've seen people decide that something is accessible without asking someone who needs accessibility, whether or not it actually is. And I, you know, it's nice to see that they will be actually taking real lived experience into consideration with their plan. That, I can For see that sure. good work. Yeah. yeah, and on timing, you guys, Whistler hosted the 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Games, but they're welcoming the Invictus Games in 2025, mm -hmm. and that brings important value to the community, and by adopting the Accessibility Action Plan, it's going to be a really strong tool to achieve Whistler's community vision and spreading it wide so that, you know, other um, communities are on side and um, starting to get their own accessibility action plans underway and strike these committees as well. Yeah. Well, it's... you know, every time a community like that does something like this, they, they set up a model for other communities. And especially if it's something like, you know, with the Invictus Games, where there will be, a, a, you know, a spotlight on Whistler because of that. I, I, I think that's really commendable. Yeah, and there's totally agree. Sorry, go ahead, Rami. I'm cutting oh, no, you no, off. no. No, not at all. I was just going to add that it's the nice and early aspect as well, right? Like um, talking about making uh, Whistler this point of reference, potentially a point of example uh, in future as to uh, how inclusive it can be, how amazing it can feel. Um, and, and that's a really huge highlight. It really is. Um, as I uh, hit the button to <laughs> delete that call that was coming through. <laughs> Hope you guys didn't hear that. But you know, I've, I'm I'm pretty impressed. I I took a look at um, Whistler.ca forward slash accessibility. There's a lots of information there, so anyone interested, they can jump on and see what's happening with rolling out these plans. And um, yes, uh, having that importance of just stepping up and meeting the targets of BC's um, Accessibility Act and um, following through is going to be number one for communities across this province. So time to get on board. Well, that's really great. So these are our two uh, elements of good news you've brought us today, Sylvie. Thank you so much. No worries at all. You guys have a fantastic weekend. You too. Our content development specialists join us Wednesdays and Fridays on Kelly and Company.
A whole other hour of Kelly and Company to come. And in that hour, we have the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan, who is highlighting a very fun audiobook for us. A little spooky, too. We have Cut for Time, where we reflect back on conversations from the week. And after the break, it's The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. If you missed any of the live edition of Kelly and Company, Company, then you can check us out every eight hours on AMI Audio, 10 p.m. Eastern time being our first repeat. And if you missed that, or if 6 a.m. Eastern somehow works better for you, then feel free. We're available in your mornings and your evenings, whenever you want. And of course, you can go to your favorite podcast platform and check us out on demand as well. We have our full show podcast available to you for full listening. And then Sam McLaughlin and we've kicked off the second hour. Billy, how's it going? We made it. We made it. <laughs> have you been yeah. looking forward to the Friday articles? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we Actually, we got a serious one and two interesting kind of lighthearted ones, but they're good. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure they meet the standard of Friday shows. Oh, yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. um, how about this one? Is your boss tracking you while you work? Some Canes are about to find out. So this is coming from CTV News. So apparently this past Tuesday, um, the Ontario government a, basically in, invoked legislation that would require companies with 25 or more employees um, employers would have to outline a monitoring policy so that if you were being monitored as an employee, they, they would have to tell you in what way and how often and what kind of tools they're using. This is part of their Working for Workers Act. So it, it's kind of, <laughs> you, you know, you're basically talking about a real slippery slope, right? I mean, you've got these tools are... They can monitor your emails if you're using a work device, of course. If you're, they can monitor your your emails, your your keystrokes, this sort of thing. And the there's there's lots of issues that 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 you know that we have to deal with when it comes to this. The one is yeah. that is if if you are if you're an employer um, and you use these tools. Um, to focus on one employee or to trap somebody that's not a, that's how the, not you're supposed that's how you're not supposed to use them they can be used for um to help people because supposing you are doing a task that could take an hour and you're taking 2 hours then an employer can say well you know maybe we can help you get this task done better um, so I guess, I guess these tools are, the other thing is if you, if say, if I'm an employer and I know, should I not know my employers or employees workflows? So are these tools even necessary? You know what I mean? Like is, is, is the end result, is it the, 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 the end result, the productivity counts or that's the best thing. If the work is done right. You know what I mean? Is isn't that what counts? 
Well, that's you're really asking the right question here, Billy, because they, first of all, this legislation is utterly toothless. All it does is yeah. say you have to have a policy. It doesn't say anything about uh, any kind of regulation of when no. employers can, you know, peer over your shoulder, so to speak, technologically peer over your shoulder. And the, the, the question you've asked is exactly right. I mean, if you're doing the work and you're getting it done well, you know, should the employer know that you've uh, stood up to go to the washroom or, you know, changed the laundry load from the washer to the dryer or that your your child started to cry? Because, you know, since um, COVID, a lot more people have been working at home and apparently doing a, a fine job. And whose business is it, you know, how they lay out their time if, in fact, they're doing the work? So, you know, the, the government isn't saying, you know, you can do, use it here, but you can't use it here. They're just saying you have to have a policy. And then who's going to ensure that the policies mm-hmm. are uh, even lawful? I, I find this kind of legislation rather cynical, personally. I'm not, uh, as you can guess, not a fan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if, if an employer wants to fire you, um, they, they will find a rationale for firing They'll you. They don't even way. have to tell you what it is. Yeah. No, exactly. they just say we're going in another direction. Yep. Yeah. And this the is, other... I just want to say this is one of the fears that we were all waiting on, right? Like when the pandemic hit, when people got, some of us, um, got the freedom to to have a bit of quality of work, quality of life um, increased because we were able to be home, have more flexible work hours, all the other, quote, benefits. Uh, people were wondering, well, is the other shoe going to drop? Or is it now going to go to, well, we need to know what you're doing with every single minute of every single day during work hours? It's yeah, a big um, concern. It is, but here's another interesting question for you guys. Employers do have a right to to, to a point to know, do they not? Well, if you were all in the office together, they would, yeah. you know, they could walk yes. around and, and peek in your office and find out if you're there or not, or ask mm-hmm. you, which is, you know, the most, <laughs> the best way to find out is to simply ask somebody, you know, how are you doing? Uh, are you finding the workload manageable? What's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they can't follow you home um, no. to, for, for, from the office and, you know, uh, walk into your living room and find out where you've put your computer and whether uh, each keystroke is, you know, is legitimate. Um, so a- you, you can't, yeah, it's a, that it's honor a great system, invasion right? of private. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, it always was. Yeah. And then yeah. it has to be. If it wasn't when you were in the office, the the whole notion of being able to work from home, it requires a bit of that balance, a bit of, you know, letting go of micromanagement and allowing people to have a more flexible lifestyle. I think that many well, employers have discovered that that you know, being respectful of your employees really pays off. No, makes them better. Yeah. 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 Well, but unfortunately, the, that's not the train that everyone's on. No, it's not. No. It's not. And I think what you're going to see is when the government, um, because they're going, be, they're going to be compiling all this data, and you might find this this uh, amendments to this legislation, it needs, as you say, much more teeth to make it anywhere near what it should be. And maybe as we go forward with this, um, you you will find it much more, hopefully better, 
and it, it'll, you know, it'll be more, perhaps more transparent. Well, speaking of transparency, I'm curious, do you both think that there is a way to understand what goes on at, uh, at home or how people are feeling about the workload or if they require more flexible hours? Like, do you think that's a conversation that could be had if, Danielle, as you pointed out, if it's done respectfully, you know, to understand how people want to work from home? Well, I'm concerned, definitely. Yeah, I I think that employers and and employees need to be in dialogue all the time. I think that, you know, when, when people don't hear from their employees or they don't hear from their employers, then resentments can build up pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. that's a matter of a conversation, not somebody, you know, using electronic uh, monitoring Tracking. to right. find out what's going on. I mean, that feels too much like policing and an invasion of yeah. privacy and mm-hmm. micromanagement and all the rest of it. I mean, you can imagine somebody asking you questions about your keystrokes or, you know, I saw that you were on Facebook for five <laughs> minutes just before lunchtime. You know, is, is that really going to make for a, a happy employee? Yeah. No. Right. Yeah, yeah. Billy. Well, what else Good do you have for us, Billy? What yeah. do we have? Pull the next one out of the hat. A robot testified at Britain's House of Lords and had a breakdown. In other words, a reboot. This is a kind of... <laughs> oh. a, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was an emotional breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. It, it, it needed to be... You need push the button, as as it were. But this is kind of, <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, AI Da is what her name is, and she was a she is a, an, a female android wearing dungarees. The first robot in history, believe it or not, to testify at the House of Lords or in any, as far as I know, in any court. She fielded questions from British from from the, the you know. British Parliament, parliamentarians. The subject at hand was the relationship between art and AI and how how basically AI can make art better and how it could be used, you know, basically in different ways. And she was able to field questions from the, of course, she was programmed yeah. But um, she was able to field questions about the whole concept of art. I'm kind of interesting. Um, the one of the really unique things about this is she was on tour, right? And the she was in Egypt, and the Egyptian border guards basically arrested her. They thought she was a spy. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the British ambassador had to step in and, and say, no, um, it, 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 they had to bail her out. <laughs> so is she an artwork? Is is that what she is? That's I think, funny. yeah, I believe so. I'm like, well, it's not the first time artwork has spent time in jail. But, <laughs> but uh, how did she do in jail? Did they, they uh, was she functional when they brought her out? Uh, I I think um, while well, she was sort of downcast and they had, you know, um, but what happened in court was she was asked a question and then she looked down at the floor and it's like, oh, I must have froze her up. 
So basically, <laughs> she they had to push the button and restart her. So, but I guess the 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 conversation is, you know, we've talked about rob, robots before, and I, I mean, of course, it wasn't subjective. You couldn't. She didn't testify at a murder trial or anything. But it just goes to show, um, if you can testify in court or 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 in the House of Lords, where are you going to go next, right? <laughs> well, I guess we never know the answer to that, right? <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting that uh, I, you know, if if it looks like a human, people are going to think it's a human, in, right, even to right. the to the point of putting it in jail. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's just all novelty driven right now, though. It's yeah. just because it's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much. We only got to two, but they were good ones. Okay. Um, thanks a lot. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Bill Shackleton on The Buzz with Bill. You can also check out The Best of The Buzz with Bill, which releases at the start of every month. Taking a break, coming back with the chatty bookshelf. Ryan Huey will join us with some audiobook recommendations. We'll be back. It's always exciting talking about a content on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, especially if you're, you yourself are interested in it, right? There's an audio drama that we're going to chat about on Monday with the writer, with the author of the uh, drama, and it's going to be fun. It's called The Departure Train. You may have checked out some of the promos on our social and on YouTube, but it's a good one. I would really, really join that conversation if I were you because it's going to be a fun one and there's so much to dissect with the kind of story that the departure train is. So looking forward to that on Monday, but right now it's Friday. We're going into the weekend with me, Ramia Amuthan, and Danielle McLaughlin on Kelly and Company. On the chatty bookshelf, we talk all things audiobooks with Ryan Hui. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? My name is Ryan Hui, this is The Chatty Bookshelf, and we talk all things audiobooks. Hello, Ryan, how are you? Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. It's getting a little bit cold outside, so perfect time to cuddle up with a great book, whether it's an audiobook, print book, or ebook. Just I a could little not agree cold. more. Yeah, it doesn't Freezing. have to be very cold. <laughs> you know, a, a nice warm pair early. of socks and a book. What more could a person want? Yeah. <laughs> a blanket. So what do you nice have cup, for nice us warm today? Blanket. Yeah, this is interesting. So I just wanted to bring this up. I know it might seem early to some, but a lot of our publisher friends have uh, put out on their social media, uh, HarperCollins, Caliber, um, and a few others, they have audio greeting cards for Christmas, but they are almost sold out. So guys, if you're the type to send Christmas cards, maybe they're, you want to do something a little different, send the audio ones this year, um, check into it at all of their websites and uh, grab what you can because they're selling out fast and it's only, what, mid-October. So um, check it out if that's your thing, guys, because uh, they've all been uh, really great so far. I've heard one from HarperCollins and it's they're pretty cool. So uh, if you want to, go and check them out, but you don't have too much time, so do it before it's too late. 
I've never heard of audio greeting cards. What, do they sing to you? What do they do? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of like um, if I sent you one, it would come through an email and there would be a file attached and it's like, click here to hear your audio um, greeting. And it, the, so most are standard. So it'll be like, hey, season's greeting. And it sort of reads as if you would get a print card. Hey, uh, Merry That's Christmas lovely. or Happy Holidays off the front. And then it would read you a message oh. in the back. And then if I'm the sender, I can choose to sign in a, in a way where it would be like, Oh, uh, best of luck, all the best in 2023 love Ryan, or, you know, that sort of thing. Right. I can, and it would read that out to you as well. Uh, yes, yes. They're all done in okay, human good. voices. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's love uh, a good human being. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really great. I've never, I, I hadn't learned about those. Thank you for telling me. That's really nice. No problem. So, and then very exciting news here. This is really cool. So I always love to talk about new and innovative books. And this one doesn't disappoint. Uh, it came out just on Tuesday. There's those that love to hate the full cast production. So there's a lot of this one rocks and this one isn't so good. But uh, it's a really innovative audiobook. the way it's written and the full cast production sort of lends it just a little bit more uh, oomph, if you will, and pizzazz, but it's a really cool one. And it's shooting up the charts everywhere. And what is okay. that? Yeah, it's actually by a pretty famous author. So people are rejoicing. It's called The Method by James Patterson. So he needs no introduction. He has tons of New York Times bestsellers. Um, but what is really cool about this is the story itself. Now, obviously, it's a full cast production, and it's not read where Ryan reads one chapter, then the next reader reads another one. It's done almost in a play-style setting. So mm. in the middle of chapters, you get the different voices uh, coming in and chirping in when it's, uh, you know, maybe this character or that character. But the synopsis of the story, and guys, this is really cool. So true crime and, and crime stuff is kind of in. So there's a down, on a down on his luck actor who's kind of washed up, about to lose his apartment and everything, and he finds this class, and it's called The Method. And in this class, he learns how to become one with the roles he's playing, which is pretty cool. So he takes this class, and he gets he lands the lead role on a new kind of crime TV show, but he's playing a serial killer. And the lines start to blur as to what he should be doing in life and what he wants to do as the person he's acting and whether real life is the acting life and vice versa. So you can kind of see where this is going. And there's a lot of different voices coming and going. Um, but it's got vibes of creepy, vibes of, you know, just a little bit strange and a whole lot of fun. And that's kind of what we want in October, right? Given the season. Yeah. Is, is it based on method acting? Like it was actually taught in New York by, you know, the, like the Stanislavski school and, and, and others. Is, is that what it's based on? Do you know? So, yeah, a little, I, yes, I would say a little bit, but it's more so there's a lot of fiction, right? There's a lot of speculative in yeah. there, but there's a lot of, um, it, it's, it's really, it, it's a, it's a heavy hitter. It's going to be a blockbuster, right? And, and it's soaring up the charts um, and it's creepy in its own right. And because it's so creepy, uh, any guesses on who the lead voice might be for this actor? It is a male, mm. uh, and he's pretty well known. I don't know. It could be no, anybody. If it's <laughs> creepy, yeah. It's Ooh. Mr. Creepy voice himself, Zachary Quinto, uh, best known for his <laughs> role as Skyler in uh, 
in Heroes, uh, and obviously he was the villain in Heroes, and uh, he does a marvelous job. It's unbelievable the way he can make his voice sound, and just the so much added value to the entire book, just based on the narration of the parts where he's narrating, and then the parts where he's speaking. It's it's really great, um, and that's kind of what kills it, no pun intended. Um, it's, it's a really <laughs> great book, and it's smashing its way up charts. Uh, it's uh, Last I checked was last night, and it was already at number three. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So uh, can you tell us a bit uh, more about the uh, the what, what's happening in the story or are you going to keep it all quiet? You so know what? I always get right? the book ourselves. I almost feel like I gave away too much already, but I think oh, really? um, one big thing is, you know what, the, the voices really lend uh, lend sort of to the reading and to the listening, right? So you'll hear, and it sort of surprised me because I wasn't expecting it to be read as sort of a play. Uh, but when it started to do that, I'm like, oh, this is great. But then I guess I can tell you guys that voices tend to go missing in this story, uh, ah. which kind of is a little creepy, but also a little awesome and it sort of makes you like oh my goodness what happens next what happens next right and traditionally i'm not sort of a horror or scary book kind of guy and this one is kind of borderline between suspense and horror but i really enjoyed the way that it kind of blended the two together where it was there was you know plots of like the scary and the horror but also a lot of suspense but um it does warn and uh rightfully so that there are some uh pretty gruesome de depiction, so it might not be the, for the faint of heart, and uh, there's some mature themes throughout the the entire novel, um, or the entire audiobook kind of thing, but uh, it, it, uh, it, it was really a kind of an awesome book, and I really, really loved it. I got about an hour to go, uh, so I think I know well, what's going to happen. you haven't finished but it yet? No, yeah, how long I is the book? I know uh, it's about 12 hours, so it's a little bit longer, but that's really cool. It doesn't seem like a 12-hour read uh, with all the voices that are coming at you. You say it, that it, about every 12-hour read. Come on, <laughs> Well, that's, that's, you know what? Anything <laughs> from about 9 to 14 hours is kind of where I, I, I stick my yeah. nose into, right? But then there's the short ones where you can like, oh, I'm going to bang this out in a day. But uh, for the most part, I, that's kind of where I stay, and I, I really, really enjoyed this one so up to this part. And like I said, got about an hour left, but uh, I think I know what's going to happen. So unless uh, Mr. Patterson tosses another curveball at me, I think mm -hmm. I know where this is going, and the ending's going to be fantastic. This is fun. I don't know. Do he, he's been known to throw a few... Uh, yeah. A, yes. A, a few curveballs, shall we say. So, you, you know, right. you might find In it... In the last hour of the book, Daniel? Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, see, there's been a few already, and that's, I'm like, okay, I'm like, how many can there actually be? Uh, you know, is he using up all his great ideas in this one book, or is it, you know, is he just an endless pit uh, of ideas? I'm not sure. So I, I think, think that. I think it's the latter. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? You might be right, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Now Now I'm kind of curious if I listen to the rest tonight. Is he, is he just going to toss, you know, is he going to blow my mind again? Because there's a couple times in the story where I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't even see that coming. So it's uh, it's it's a really great listen. I'm I'm just loving this one so far, and the fact that it's Zachary Quinto is, uh, it, you know, what I, I was like, yeah, this might be the right voice, this might not be the right voice, but definitely the right choice. And there's a few other people that have been on some Netflix series in the um, as narrators, but they have sort of a short stint or they have uh, scattered parts. That's not so much like a Zachary Quinto that is, you know, almost in every chapter, or I guess he so would be in every chapter. 
Okay, short stints on in the actual book, not like their roles on Netflix shows. But you're saying this because we might hear familiar voices from other places. Yes, there was a couple that nice. I recognized right away, um, and I'm not going to give those away because the, the they they sort of lend some comic relief. There's there's he, James Patterson does a really good job of blending in a little bit of humor. With just when you think the book is kind of at its darkest point, right? So uh, there, there's times where you're like, I might need to walk away. And then all of a sudden, there's a, a one-liner in there that'll just have you cracking up a little bit. And I, I really enjoy how they mix that in. Yeah. Well, I mean, when so- you talk about the full cast, you know, it's sort of written like a play, pre- or, or sorry, presented like a play. I'm curious, was it written like a play? Oh, I'm going to bring Harry Potter reference in, so roll your eyes now. The <laughs> Cursed Child is written like a play. So when it's performed like a play, it's not necessarily, you know, out of the blue. Um, but with this one, you know, is it written first person in the perspective of uh, the protagonist or like, is there a lot of room for that to be an organic way that they've developed it? So to the best of my knowledge, I don't think it's written like a play. I think it's more of that first person, but there are times where it kind of shifts a little bit. And I think that's why it surprised me when I heard that second voice come in all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, well, this is, this is really cool. Or like, did I buy a a weird version or is this this is a mistake did it skip ahead kind of thing but uh when i look at the listing for the full cast there are 12 voices so i don't know um mm. because it does say and all at the end so i'm like hmm does that mean there's more or is this uh, a 12 voice kind of thing which is still a lot right you get those books where um you know it's neil gaiman and he has like 25 voices in them but it's more like every chapter has its own voice this one's more like you know ryan's talking and all, all of a sudden ramya has a line uh so i don't know that it's written so much like a play but it it very well could be that would that would be something i'd like to see is the print version of it to see how it's kind of written but to the best of my knowledge i would say that this is written more like an audiobook just I guess they're mixing in, you know, um, here and there that when others have lines, right? They're like, oh, this is Sandra's line or this is, you know, uh, Marisa's line kind of thing. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing when I see and like when I've experienced um, some of these Audible originals and how they go about doing things. Uh, you know, they don't always stick to the way that you assume something should be done, right? Or the way that you would have preferred it. There is a bit of trust that when Audible puts something out, if you're a fan of Audible, that you'll check it out and hopefully love it. Now, obviously, when you put James Patterson in the picture, like, if you're a fan, you're going for it. Um, but, you know, with so much of Audible production, they they experiment. They experiment, they add just little flourishes here and there sometimes, and other times they just go all out. Um, but most of the times... I think that if you like Audible, if you already have a trusted relationship with them, then you can go for it. And it's very artistic, the way that they produce. No, and usually you're absolutely right. They usually hit it out of the park with all these crazy ideas because usually it's those ones that kind of work out the best, right? It's kind of a new and Mm. innovative thing. And this one is an Audible original, but it's already kind of been shifted into talking to release it into other platforms whether it's the google play or the um, apple books that sort of thing so they're getting some really good feedback and it only came out uh, last week so uh it's it's obviously doing very well for itself so where do we pick this book up 
Right now, uh, you have to be an Audible member, and that would be audible.com or uh, actually any place but audible.ca, if I'm being honest. I think you can get it on audible.ca, but it's not included in the um, sort of the Audible Originals section. It's uh, in a different section, so I think you might have to do some deep dive searching. It's called The Method by James Patterson, but um, it's pretty much available everywhere on Audible. Thank you so much, Ryan. This is a uh something I think a lot of people will be looking forward to. Have a happy weekend. Have a great weekend and keep listening, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Ryan Hui joins us every Friday to talk audiobooks on the Chatty Bookshelf. After the break, we're going to reflect on conversations from the past week that we've had here on Kelly and Company on Cut for Time. Kelly and company on a Friday afternoon. Thanks for joining us as we get into some conversations, some reflections on the past week, because we have so many and such a variety of subjects that we talk about. Sometimes, believe it or not, we don't even get to say our piece. So, so hence, we create Cut for Time and uh, get back into those conversations. And Danielle, we'll start with one that you listened back to. You weren't here when we had the original conversation, but you listened back to it and you wanted to uh, highlight it. Yes. Um, on Wednesday, uh, we heard from Leslie Depoe, the uh, registered nurse who comes on uh, Kelly and Company, um, and she was talking about the crisis in healthcare at the moment and some of the many aspects of it. So let's hear one of the things she had to say. So first of all, why are we overrun in hospitals? Why are we overrun in emergency rooms? So the first one is, you know, we can take a look at what's happening. Believe it or not, we got all, all the way back to long-term care. You know, we, people have been raising alarm bells about this for decades. As boomers age, we knew we were going to need right. more space. Mm -hmm. That did not happen. People are living longer, so turnovers in long-term care, not to be crass, but that's not what it was. Next, we have a lot of people that don't actually want to leave their home or can't afford long-term care. Yes, mm. some are government-funded, but the waiting lists for those are very long, and not a lot of people want that. So we needed better infrastructure for home care as well. That hasn't been um, implemented effect effectively. So what's happening is you're seeing a lot of people coming into hospitals, suffering a life-altering injury or an illness, but now they can't go home, so where are they supposed to go? We don't have room in long-term care. We don't have room in assisted living. Home care isn't going to suffice, so they end up staying in hospital until we have a place for them and sadly have a pretty qual poor quality of life in, in that, in that time as well. Well, she said it. Um, and if you listen to her whole segment on the podcast, you'll find out that she talks about a number of things, including bill 124, which actually stops the province from uh, increasing the amount paid to uh, healthcare workers by more than 1%, which 
if, if you've been to the grocery store lately, you know, that doesn't help you very much in the in time in which we're in looking at increasing prices, increasing rents, and increasing costs for every part of our lives. So I think that she's really done an excellent job here of pointing out how things are related to each other. So, you know, you have the nursing staff, um, the uh, the personal assistance to people with disabilities, uh, all really suffering because they don't have enough money to live on and then finding other jobs. They're, you know, they're going into industry, they're going into all kinds of different kinds of um places where they can make more money, even though they've been trained very highly. For example, um, ICU nurses are really hard to come by these days. If you've had the misfortune of going to an emergency department in any hospital, you will have experienced an ex extraordinarily long wait, unless you are one of the people who's been triaged as being completely critical uh, that your situation is is that serious. So. We know that, you know, we've got to get more care into the, um, the, the, the homes for people who need critical, who, who need long-term care, uh, and that means nurses. We know that we need more care in the hospitals, and as she herself said, it's not about the furniture. We don't need more beds, actual beds. What we need are nurses who can care for the people in the beds. There's no shortage of furniture. There is a shortage of nurses. You know, how can we look at our governments and say, here's where you need to pull up your socks. Here's where you need to spend money. And I think she did an excellent job Wednesday in showing us how each problem is related to every other problem. Did you have a, an opinion on that too, Ramya or Grant? Grant, I'll let you go first if you wanted to um, expand or yeah, say your thoughts. I mean, I mean, she said it, and, and Danielle, you said it, that I think this is uh, summarizing information very well that we all kind of, the experts either knew or should have known this, this is not a surprise. This is very far That's from right. a surprise. This has been coming down the pipeline for years we're dealing with this crisis as well in, in British Columbia. Uh, it's pretty shocking that this has gone on this long. And I think we're dealing with a number of interesting uh, sort of domino effects here. Like, you know, one interesting thing is I would imagine that even the relationship between the patients and some of the staff, the little people who should be your, your, your advocate are deteriorating because probably the care people are getting is not very adequate and they're probably taking mm. that out on the staff whereas it's the people sort of uh towards the top of the chain that should actually be dealing with this i also find it very interesting our healthcare approach for you know as long as i've been following it has been very reactive like you can see people who you know, show up. Uh, actually, my 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 grandma, my nana, dealt with this before she died. Where she would show up to the emergency room, <clears throat> you know, essentially in crisis, and uh, yeah. all that they were really willing to do was 
I hesitate to even say stabilize, but sort of get her to a point where like she could at least sort of go home and mm. serve, you know, survive until sort of her, her next, you know, crisis. But in terms of actually delivering, you know, quality care that she was happy with, that would actually keep her not just alive, but actually sort of connected to the community uh, that is the situation that is really lacking. So I, I don't have the solution, but we knew this was coming. It's been here for a long time. Now it's just a little more yeah, getting worse. Yeah, and, and, and you're, you've made a very good point because people are showing up to hospitals much sicker than they once did because they're putting off seeing um, their their caregivers, their medical caregivers, um, their healthcare professionals, because they know they're going to have to wait and wait and wait. And so by the time they actually are, you know, under the care of a physician or, or of a nurse practitioner, they're much sicker than, than they were when they first noticed that they had a problem. And I think that this is adding to the, you know, to the whole concern. And, and um, you know, Leslie DePoe mentioned that this is also a problem for the healthcare providers who are, you know, having to do much more to care for people than they might have had to do if the person had come in earlier in the illness. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, COVID has really participated in adding to the problem rather than to the solution because people get sick and they come in sicker and then they, the healthcare providers are getting sick. And so we're just, we just don't have enough people to care for everybody. And, you know, one thing feeds right into another. But yeah, I think your grandmother's situation uh, is quite typical of what uh, is happening across this country right now. And the yeah, very known... much. Go ahead. Go ahead. Was there anything else? Oh, I was just going to say that the the no solution part of it is uh, is so real, right? Like because you can understand that as for me is not a person who works um, a frontline staff and in medical situations and uh, for public health, but understand that there's all this going on. But if you're also experiencing, like I have a family member who's had to go in and out of hospital and ER and ICU and that kind of thing as well is so frustrating because you're, you're aware and you understand the situation is so dire, um, but also you are seeing how this is affecting a loved one to not be able to get the care, to not be able to uh, have regular staff, let alone, you know, staff who can um, prioritize the, the the care of the patient, but not being able to have regular follow-ups and, and all this stuff. And as you were saying with your grandmother, just noticing that the most that can happen is they send you home um feeling better hopefully than you did when you got there or with some you know answer response to your questions but that's pretty much it there's nothing or very little to uh, above that that they can do because of all the overwhelm uh and all the different aspects of of care right now so i mean it it's true what both of you guys said there's there's uh, no surprise in all of this happening but i think to me there just the volume of information that leslie gave us on wednesday to consider and think through and digest uh was a lot it was a lot to take in and all these different angles of how it's affecting 
the entire um, healthcare system is just wow, you know, and, and how much of this is being dealt with to try to create some better situations. We, we have no idea. Not as, not as much as there should be. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So Wednesday's show still, uh, we spoke with Margaret Weldon and this was a lighter conversation, very informative also about traveling tips and in this clip, she gives us a tip on how we can enjoy our plane ride with a little more comfort and space. Some aircrafts, you know, have have rows of seats that are maybe in threes, right? Yep. So apparently now, and a lot of people don't like to sit in the middle seat to begin with. And there's others who really are concerned about somebody they don't know sitting in the middle seat because of COVID and one thing or another. So some airlines now are allowing people to purchase the middle seat as well as, you know, their own seat that they're going to sit in at a discounted price. Not all airlines do, but some do. So if you're thinking that maybe you don't want to be that close to a person, you need to check out what airlines, number one, you know, fly to and from your chosen destination. And number two, do you want to purchase that middle seat at a discount price? Now, of course, this is one of the ways that if you had money and you wanted to spend it on <laughs> buying an extra seat for your I don't know, to put your legs up on, <laughs> you can do that, uh, along with, you know, other options like bidding for for better seats, bidding for business class and these kind of things trending nowadays. Uh, but she did go on, Margaret did go on to talk about some free uh, and non-financial ways to potentially get better seats. And she really, the, the thing that stood out to me was just to ask the day of if there, if your flight isn't full, which, yeah big chance fat chance that your flight isn't full these days um, but if for some reason your flight isn't full there are opportunities to get um, better seats potentially and you know sometimes I, I step away from this being like a luxury option of having better seats and bigger seats and think of it as what happens if this is um a, a bigger challenge for you because of a disability, invisible disability, maybe visible disability, maybe. And I question how much support there is being given. Now, if you have a CNIB card, like I do, an ID card, or you're uh, affiliated with some other entity that gives you um, proof to have better seats or, you know, ask for other accommodations while flying, then that's great. But what happens to those who don't have that? If you're not able to provide some documentation to say, I really do need more leg room or, uh, you know, better back support, um, et cetera, et cetera. Do you just suck it up and take these long uncomfortable flights now with even more restrictions while traveling uh, or you know could there be better ways to to handle that kind of accommodation and there's always a question in parentheses of well everyone's going to take advantage then right but really though this is a conversation for some people that's real and needs some attention to Grant, have you thought about or experienced um, examples like this? It doesn't even have to be an airplane, but really like any kind of travel. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say 100% the key is to ask, like you said, actually at um, more so I think in American airports, um, but there are these sort of secret lounges that 
allegedly you can ask to get into and they have mm-hmm. more space and they have free drink and uh you know that kind of thing um yeah it's 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 a real riddle because i remember just how exciting it was to to fly as a kid i remember uh, i flew to see some family when i was about 10 and the, the flight attendant came over to me and said like hey how would you like to go you know see the pilot and you know check out the pilot's cabin and it was so fun. And now just thinking that, you know, these days and think how much security we have now at mm-hmm. airports and in airplanes, that would never happen to some kid. It, it's much more locked down. But not only that, but as an adult, you are quite a bit less cute than a child. And that's definitely <laughs> something that I'm struggling Isn't with. Isn't that I'm, sad? Yeah, yeah, I know. As, as, as my adulthood is going by and that's something I'm definitely struggling <laughs> with where now it's a little bit more like you have to kind of advocate for yourself as opposed to it just coming naturally and people want to be nurturing and, and kind because you're a cute kid <laughs> you know my father used to uh, fly quite often and he lived with a disability his whole life he couldn't um Uh, bend his legs. And so he always wanted to sit at the bulkhead because there's much more leg space there. And I have to say that the the largest amount of time he was accommodated, he would ask, uh, he would know to ask before he got on the flight, but sometimes, you know, that didn't didn't work out. But almost all the time, they were very kind, you know, that you shouldn't have to rely upon kindness, but they, they did accommodate his special needs and, you know, met him uh, with a wheelchair at, at the at mm. the door of the plane and stuff. So, uh, you know, in fact, it got to the point where people said, let's travel with him because he always gets special <laughs> attention. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you hear the latest trend? Get in a wheelchair and you don't have to wait at the lineups in airports. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just absolutely. Yeah. But that's so kind fun. of the interesting thing, too, is be, like being uh blind for example i don't know if you've had this experience where someone wants you to just get in a wheelchair and we'll push you there uh-huh. and you uh-huh. might go like i'm not really, really sure I, i'm not really yeah. sure i want this i'm i'm able to walk no well you know it's the easiest thing for us and yeah. you're just in that like okay is this another battle that i want to pick exactly and is it worth it yeah no kidding yeah. Wow. the nuances Get people trained. Thank you so much, Grant, for joining us as the third voice on Cut for Time. Danielle, thank you for your choice as well. Uh, All these wonderful reflections uh, at the end of the week are very, very lovely. Going to take a break, come back, wrap up the show. You too, Grant. Have a good weekend. Wrap up the show and find out what's coming up over the weekend for your entertainment on AMI-audio. This is Kelly and Company, and we're here wrapping up the show, kicking open the gateway to your weekend. Well, maybe not kicking, like sliding it nicely open for you, and hope you have a, a wonderful weekend ahead. I'll tell you some ways that you can tune into AMI Audio for some weekend entertainment. But Danielle, to reflect on today's conversations and maybe send people over to the podcast platform, any highlights from you? 
Well, you know, I always love talking to Ryan Huey about uh, books and what he's been listening to. Uh, the Method by James Patterson today. I mean, there there must be no more enthusiastic reader than our friend Ryan Huey. He's wonderful. So I really enjoyed hearing about that book and uh, how he hasn't read the last hour yet. So he doesn't know the, the, the final outcome. I'm really hoping that we'll get to find out what he thinks of, uh, of the end of it. But it was great mm-hmm. fun. It was really fun. And I'm, I don't know if he surpassed his goal for like number of reads this year, books, but uh, he keeps us posted and we're nearing the end of the year so he's been crunching it with these books like absolutely (laughs) a book a week which is fantastic yeah check it out on your favorite podcast platform also talking about accessible voting with sylvie was a highlight for me um just some great and very important conversations you know keeping tabs uh for for candidates um and voters alike keeping tabs on people with disabilities and making sure that they're part of that conversation when it comes to voting and way, way ahead of time, not just this last minute. Oh, yeah, and we didn't forget about you stuff. So um, it was wonderful to hear about some of the innovative stuff going on in Vancouver for their election coming up tomorrow. Now, over the weekend, some of the highlights that you can check out on AMI-audio, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, new episode releasing over the weekend, My Life in Books with Red Sail, new episode you can catch on Sunday, and also, of course, on your podcast platforms. There's a Guardian Audio long read. Uh, the subject for this weekend is Divine Comedy, the stand-up double act who turned to the priesthood. Interesting. Also, we have AMI audiobook review. Catch it at 2 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Uh, that's Saturday. And we have Rosina Asani joining us. And the conversation is around finding yourselves in other stories. We all know how impactful books are, uh, but Rosina really gets into seeing and hearing someone with a disability in the books that she reads and how extraordinarily impactful that is for her. And she highlights some um, or recommends some books for us as well. We also talked about this, but The Pulse with stuttering advocate Maya Chubkov of San Francisco, that's on this weekend as well. Highly recommended listen by Andy Frank, manager of AMI-audio. Danielle, it was an awesome pleasure hanging out with you uh, the last couple days, and you'll be back next week, I think. I I will. You just can't get rid of me, you know. Yeah. I just have so much fun being on air with you, Ramya, <laughs> that I'm just going to keep creeping on in. <laughs> it's fun, I know. And with me, with Kelly, you're back yes. uh, a ton. So appreciate you joining us, and enjoy your lamb chops tonight. Over the breaks, we've been. Thank you very much, <laughs> and I hope that you have a lovely time. <laughs> have Thank a great weekend. You. This weekend, so much going on in the Blind Low Vision community this weekend in Toronto. The uh, Fighting Blindness Canada Young Leaders Summit taking place. There's some visionaries activities with the Toronto Visionaries. We spoke to JJ Hunt last week, audio describer, and he's got his first audio described tour going on. Um, This one in Little India. And next week we got the ghost tour. So, you know, if you're not doing something this weekend, then hopefully you're curled up with a book or with an AMI audio podcast. We have tons going on Kelly and company as well on Monday when we start your afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time with some tech conversation. Michael Babcock is uh, giving us highlights of 
Google and Microsoft event. We've had some recent events, and he's got to catch us up because we missed him the long weekend Monday. We also have sports highlights with Brock Richardson, and he's going to tell us uh, a lot of what's going on in the sports world over the weekend. Michelle Tashur wrote the audio play, audio drama, The Departure Train. We've been hearing all about it. It's going to be airing on AMI-audio very soon. She's going to give us some some uh, background on what it was like writing that. And we have Community Report coming on. We also have Leanne Barda joining us for Accessible Halloween Fun Suggestions and Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. We're talking about facial recognition with Brenda McPhail. So that's going to be a real interesting conversation tune in for that credits to our team producers along with myself are jeff ryman and reporter grant hardy as well as marianne dion jones we have senior producer for the show matt agnew and live production manager paula denine manager of ami audio is andy frank guest co-hosting with me this week or part of the week was danielle mclaughlin and of course kelly mcdonald is the host of the show enjoy your weekend and we'll catch you back here monday afternoon at 2 p.m eastern time for more kelly and company Did you follow your dream? It's a simple question with a lot of nuances. And I always wonder when I look around, when I hear people's stories, when I insist that I am good where I am, I take a step back and I wonder, did I follow my dream? Did you follow your dream? Do people follow their dreams? Talking to younger people and people who are determined and passionate, especially when it comes to arts or other kinds of the grind. It is, it's an interesting thing to see and talk about because maybe you get to a point in life where you think, "Mm, this doesn't really make sense for me anymore, or the other mature part of you kicks in and you wonder if the dream is really worth fighting for for grinding for but as you get older as you settle into who you're becoming who you are there's always at least a part of me that wonders did I follow my dream do I remember when I stopped wondering about what it would be like to follow my dreams through and go for the healthier, the more realistic option. And there are a lot of conversations like this over social media and such, where people talk about not giving up on your dreams and following your passions. And hopefully, I really do hope that most of us do that. Not all of us, obviously, but that most of us do follow our dreams. But sometimes it's a question of, Did you even realize you weren't following your dream? Is it a big, a big point of regret for you that you didn't take yourself up on? Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.